With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the late-breaking Formula One podcast. This is episode 49, just one away from the big landmark of 50. My name is Ben Hocking, of course, joining me this evening, Samuel Sage and Harry Eid. Guys, how are you doing? Pretty good. I mean, I found out a fun fact today at my work email. Obviously, we do other things other than this, unfortunately. Um, turns out that my work think my name is just Sam. So when I'm searching for myself on the company profile to do things such as book a holiday, apparently I don't exist as much as I don't exist in the Formula One world, apparently. So there you go. Wow. Is it really lit- do, you, do you have to write just Sam? Yeah, I don't have a surname. It's just Sam. My issue is a JS. sensational um we are going to be talking about f1 rather than just what goes on at sam's work sam (laughs) (laughs) just sam um so we're going to be discussing ricardo joining mclaren of course when we recorded our podcast episode last week ricardo moved within like 12 hours um i mean he's just we're used to it now part of the course isn't it um we're also going to be discussing some other things we're going to be discussing hockenheim and whether that will be replacing Silverstone on the F1 calendar or whether um, it will just appear anyway. Of course, a great circuit wasn't intended to be on the 2020 calendar, but might find its way there anyway. Um, and we're going to be discussing Ferrari or McLaren, which of the two teams have been the most wasteful in this 21st century. But first of all, we will be kicking off with Daniel Ricciardo. Of course, joining McLaren, moving from Renault uh, and replacing Carlos Sainz, who will be moving to Ferrari to partner Charles Leclerc. Big moves in the market. Uh, Sam, kicking off with you. Um, what was your reaction to Ricardo joining McLaren? Do you think this is a good move for both parties? It was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, we all kind of said it was going to happen. And I am shocked. I mean, I'm not shocked, actually. Full credit, if anything, to McLaren for arranging a replacement for science so bloody quickly. I think, I think actually, Ricardo's had the best deal out of all of this. Science is going to go and be a second driver to Charles Leclerc, which Charles Leclerc is phenomenal for how old he is, and he's going to be around for a long time. So I think science, unless he pulls it out the bag and disagrees with them for a whole season to maybe take one home, unlikely that he's ever going to get a shot at a title. But in terms of Ricardo going to McLaren, McLaren are on the up. McLaren are growing. They've signed that engine deal with Mercedes, of course. So we're back to that incredible partnership. And let's face it, the Mercedes engine is still number one in, uh, in, the, in the Formula One world. 
and Ricardo is still one of the best talents in racing worldwide. He's fantastic. He's still got a few good years under his belt left to finish what is going to be a really strong career. And I think that Renault is on a downward trajectory at the moment. McLaren, if they have a couple of good years and Ricardo can really drag the car up there, I think they could challenge that top three. Do I think they could win a title? Ah, it's unlikely. Unless Mercedes bail out and give all their resources to McLaren, it's very unlikely. But I do think that Ricardo has a much stronger chance at winning races, getting podiums, fighting up front with the McLaren team than he does at that Renault team. Something just never really sat right for me, Ricardo at Renault. Loved the idea. I don't know, but Renault just don't really seem to have that spark at the moment. They took the mickey with so many drivers in the past, Palmer, Hulkenberg, Sainz, and then they finally get the best driver they could probably get on the grid. And he's like, yeah, all right, see you later. There's someone better around the corner. So this is terrible for Rengo. It's quite funny to laugh at Rengo because Cyril Abitable, Abitable, sorry. Great. It's almost offensive. He has had some sarky, sad comments to make, which make it a bit more amusing. And Ricardo's off. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing a Ricardo and a McLaren. Again, it's not a partnership I really ever saw happening. It's a bit alien, the thought of it to me. But I think it's going to be really, really sexy. Lando, Ricardo, McLaren race suits. I'm all over it. Bring it on. Bring it on, says Sam. Harry, what do you think? Ricardo made a good move here? I think it's a good move. I don't necessarily think it's a move upwards. It's certainly a move sideways, but I think it's the right move sideways as opposed to the left left way. Um yeah, I think it's the correct the correct decision because like I I kind of agree with Sam. It just I always thought the Renault deal was more about getting away from Red Bull and Verstappen than it ever was about building up a team. And I I did have the theory that he would end up at Ferrari, but we've seen that's not quite happened. Um, but it was almost like an interim team. He didn't want to be at Red Bull anymore. He didn't want to be in Verstappen's team. So he wanted to make the move. He wanted to make the bold move. But looking at it now, I think if he wants to build up a team and you know have success with a team that didn't have success beforehand, I'd say McLaren is definitely the one, the right team to choose. I just think the way they're set up, Zach Brown's done a pretty great job of getting the right people in the right places um, in a very short period. If we think back like two years, like go back to 2018, his first proper year there, was that his first or second year? I can't remember. Um, yeah, they were they were awful. So he's, he's done a good job to help turn things around. And um, yeah, they look like they're, they've got the right attitude. As Sam said, they're not being like Cyril and sending rubbish backstabby comments in the press about who's left them um yeah just think it's the right decision uh a, a side note which has nothing to do with ricardo uh with uh, mclaren um i saw today that renault's sort of little sporty car division alpine is potentially closing mm. as they cut yeah. all um excess like uh, business which might be why he left. Maybe Renault isn't going to be an F1 much longer, but that is some wild speculation that I'm not going to get into now. <laughs> Maybe for another podcast episode. Um, yeah, I, first of all, from McLaren's perspective, I think it is a shame to break up that partnership of, of Sainz and Norris. And I mean, Ricardo joining doesn't really matter because Sainz had already decided to leave at that point uh, and go to Ferrari. I, I, I know, Sam, you have a strong opinion on this. I 
don't think you can blame Signs for moving to Ferrari personally. Um, but it's a shame because they had something good going there. They worked really well in 2019. Uh, Signs' first year at the team, Norris's first year in F1 completely. And I think they'll build on that in 2020. And I think there was at least potential for them to build on that again in 2021 and onwards. Um, but I think they've made the best of the situation. They, they've replaced Signs uh, with that elite driver that they were looking for. I, you know, I think this might be controversial, but I, I think they lost the bet. They, I don't know how to phrase this. If they had to lose Norris or Sainz, I think it was preferable to lose Sainz, which it might sound mad considering Carlos Sainz did beat Lando Norris in 2019. I'm of the opinion that Lando Norris's ceiling in F1 is higher than that of Carlos Sainz. Um, But of course, Norris is only very new in F1 and Ricardo's been there for many years, proven he's a race winner. Um, And I think given the right car uh, and in the right situation, he could be a championship winner. So McLaren, who are making all of these organisational changes that have absolutely been for the better, I think that was the one step that they were missing, that real elite driver uh, to take them where they need to go. And I think Ricardo is the man who could do that. So uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Referencing the move from Ricardo's perspective, of course, you say he has moved sideways, and I think you're right in that. Both of the teams have very similar ambitions in that they are sleeping giants of F1 who have had success in the past, um, particularly in the case of McLaren, a lot of success, um, and they're looking to get back towards the front, um, and and they're on the path to do so. Um, and and you can argue that you know Renault had the lead in that resurgence. Um, you know they were making progress year after year, sort of twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. They were building and building in terms of championship position and the number of points they were claiming each year. And 2019, it just completely broke down for them. Um, And there was no progress. I remember us speculating before the beginning of last season that the next step for Renault would be, uh, at at best, you know, competing with Red Bull, maybe uh, trying to go for third. But a realistic situation for them would have been a comfortable fourth place in 2019, similar to that of Force India a few years prior. And it just didn't work out like that at all. And they made a move move backwards. I don't think it's the case. I hope I, I hope for Ricardo's sake it isn't that Renault just had one year blip and McLaren also had a one year resurgence that they'll fall back again. Um, it'll be horrible to see if we, we come around to 2020 and suddenly McLaren have fallen back down the grid uh, and Renault reassume that fourth place. Um, you know, it'd be gutting for him. I don't think that's how it will play out, but he is basing this off one season. So it's not completely out of the realms of possibility. Um, I understand why they've made this move. I understand why Ricardo's made this move. I'm of the opinion that McLaren are going to are going places, uh, and I'm unconfident as to whether Renault are. And I think ultimately 2019 just did too much damage in terms of the vision that Renault have to get back up to the top of the top of the standings of F1. And I don't think Ricardo, um, I don't think they, they salvaged enough for Ricardo to to stay, and, and McLaren ultimately did enough to persuade him to leave. So good move from McLaren. They're just very smart and they've made such great changes. Um, So yeah, well done then. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if Renault came into last season and they were able to emulate the progress they had over the previous seasons and they were not necessarily able to compete with Red Bull and the guys in front, but, you know, be be a much break, a bigger breakaway from the midfield and within touching distance of Red Bull, you know, a cat result and maybe they beat them 
um, throughout the season and then continuously finishing, you know, sixth and seventh, seventh and eighth, sixth and seventh, you know, fourth and fifth, you know, getting those really strong points every single race. Then Ricardo looks at the situation differently and it's a whole different story. But on your point for Ferrari, realistically, there's what, three drivers on the entire grid that probably wouldn't go to Ferrari if asked at the drop of a hat, Hamilton, Bottas, and Verstappen are probably the only three that wouldn't take an immediate leap to jump into that Ferrari seat. Um, so, yeah, fair play. Science is living out his dream. Um, good on him for doing so. He's taken that opportunity. We all know that Ricardo, if he didn't get the McLaren seat, he would have loved to have had that Ferrari seat. So it's interesting to see how it's all played out. But realistically, Renault have got no one to blame but themselves for the situation they find themselves in. I mean, just a brief detour into that signs move. Um, Sam, I know it's very difficult to turn down a Ferrari seat. Um, but he, you know, McLaren have something good going. Um, and he turned that down to potentially be a number two driver to Charles Leclerc. We'll see how that materialises. Um, do you think that this is problematic for Carlos Sainz? Honestly, if you're going to take away, you know, the passion, the dream, the, the want to drive for the red car at the front, I don't think this is a good move for Sainz's career. I think he'll get the chance to possibly win races. I think he'll get the chance to be a, a famous name in Formula One. But I think he will always play second fiddle to Charles Leclerc. I think Charles Leclerc is now their 100% number one driver. He had the reins at McLaren. He was in charge. He had full development. And if, if McLaren could return to the top for even one season, I think science has what it takes to win a title. You know, I think he's got it there and then. But I don't put it beyond Ferrari to turn around to give team orders to their golden boy Charles Leclerc. And Charles Leclerc's earned it in that last season. He beat a four-time world champion. Hands down, he beat him. Yes, there were some issues with retirements and whatnot, but you have to be there all the season, the whole season. Charles Leclerc picks up two wings in a row. He has a better run. There's a lot of factors that involve it. I think for Sainz's personal growth and his wants and his dreams, it's brilliant. I can never take that away from someone to move to somewhere like Ferrari. We'd all love the opportunity to do so. But in terms of a long-term career, I don't know. Ferrari been really patchy as we're going to discuss in a little bit, McLaren, the other team, who have maybe been patchy, I think are on the up and have more chance of converting a good season than Ferrari do. Um, especially now McLaren have the backing of Mercedes and are kind of weaving their fingers into that McLaren home. So, yeah, I, I, I love that he's there. Good for him. But at the same time, I would have liked to have seen how far he could have gone with McLaren as they're on that resurgence. And I think that's a point that will we'll get gain a lot of discussion, really. Um, Harry, what, what's your view on that point? Not many people say no to Ferrari, so I don't. It was. Um, I can't imagine Science was ever going to say no. Uh, it's it's such a you you're you're it's a it's a game of guesswork. You th- you don't know. Look, we we and I'm with you, Ben. I believe McLaren are definitely on the right uh, tra- trajectory. Um, and you know, Ferrari have proved for the past ten years they can't win a championship, but you you still. I think you any or most, not any, but most drivers are going to say yes to that seat. And who knows? Like we say, you know, Sainz is going to be the number two driver. What if he comes in and does a Leclerc and upsets the form book and, you know, starts beating him? Like Leclerc can't live with him. I'm not saying that's going to happen, folks. Please don't come after me. But um, it, it could happen. So Sainz is still, he's got to prove himself at Ferrari. We know what he can do. You know, maybe he could challenge for a championship. If McLaren are in that trajectory, it's not going to happen for a few years yet, I don't think. Um, 
not at least until the new rule changes uh, in 2022 now. So, um, yeah, if, if one day he's fighting McLaren, maybe he'll look back and regret it, but he it could go the other way around. He could be still in the McLaren and be nowhere near the Ferrari and he would regret it. So he had to take the chance. Yeah, and I, I think it's tough to turn down a race-winning car, full stop. Um, but it's even tougher when that car is red. Uh, it, it's a Ferrari, um, and you think of all the legends that have have stepped into uh, stepped into the cockpit, and Signs had the chance to be one of those. Um, whether he ends up being a number two driver or not, I actually think he will end up being a number two. Not necessarily through uh, him going along with it. I, I just I don't think he's going to have the pace to deal with Leclerc, quite honestly. Um, and I think automatically he'll almost. Re- revert into a number two role um but i think there is uh, and i know we just sort of discussed signs versus ricardo who should get the seat and a few other names as well and there was uh, a bit of a blind optimism that a, a blind assumption that ricardo wouldn't play ball and he wouldn't be a number two driver and signs for some reason would i'm really not that confident that that signs in a situation where he's asked to move over is going to be overly compliant i i i don't know i i, I think it's People were taking it as a given, and I maybe it ends up being that way, but I don't have a lot of confidence it, that it will. Um, yeah, so I, I can't blame him for making the move. Um, I, I, yeah, I, it's McLaren might well be on the up, and I think McLaren, you know, have got ambitions. Uh, but that's the thing: McLaren have the ambition to be in a similar position to where Ferrari is. So you're only really banking on getting to where you could go anyway. Um, I know Ferrari aren't quite there in terms of championship wins, um, but at least in terms of race victories, that's something very difficult to turn down. So fair play to Sainz. Um, he had a, he's had a good 2019, a number of other good years in his, his career as well. So um, uh, fair play to that he snapped it up. Just just think of it this way. Ricardo, Seidel, Mercedes engines. I think McLaren are going to be higher than we think, sooner than we think. No, that's I- all. All I'm going to say to that is I I think the Mercedes power unit might be overplayed a bit. Unless unless Mercedes end up going away from F1 and you know they end up being a de facto works team. I I really don't think we're in an era now where power unit is as important as it was at the beginning of the hybrid era when you know Williams back in 2014 I I don't genuinely believe they were the third quickest car on the grid but having a Mercedes engine was so beneficial um that they they were doing well in a, a lot of races I think now the four power units are pretty evenly matched I don't think it's such a benefit to be in a Mercedes I'm not saying it's the worst option I just don't think it's that much of an advantage well I think you're right the fact that it's got the same level of advantage that you had at the start of the era that we have now, the hybrid era. But I think the Renault engine is still the worst engine on the grid. I think Honda have now surpassed it. So I think that's a fair shout. I think Honda is improving. I don't think it's at the same level as Ferrari and Mercedes. It has an all-round reliability and deliverance of power. I still think Mercedes just have the edge. Ferrari, yeah, have the outright speed in a straight line. But combined with the possible engineering differences and the aerodynamics that McLaren as we're starting to see on that car I think the delivery of speed that that Mercedes engine is able to deliver out of a corner is going to be so crucial for, for a team like McLaren to beat those around them that I wouldn't be surprised if the continuous development of that engine allows them alongside the development that Seidel's going to bring into the team to possibly start challenging Ferrari maybe within two to three years 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying it's a bad move by any stretch. I think it, it's a good move. I, I'm just saying I don't think I, I don't think the whole. I don't think it's going to make a massive difference. I think it will make a difference, but how big that difference is, I'm really not sure. Um, Harry, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. I've got any lads. I think I probably tend to agree. I'll have to tend. No, wait. Let's try that again. I would probably have to agree with Ben. I I, I don't think it makes as much difference as it used to. The only thing I would say is probably from a reliability perspective, um, even if Mercedes isn't necessarily the quickest, Ferrari's engine is that's a bit dubious. Um, it's still been the most reliable car engine package out there for the you know, the past few years and for the entirety of the hybrid era but it's not often you see a smoking mercedes by the side of the road so from that perspective um if maybe if they're not making them up that much in the power department they're definitely going to make up in the reliability department and if mclaren are going to start challenging for the top that's going to what they're going to need i mean there is there is going to be a link here but i i've been doing an article recently about the early 1980s um in f1 and how Renault failed to win a championship. And you just look at the reliability records of not only Renault, but just all teams back in the early 80s, and you compare it to what it is now. Um, and Mercedes are, like you say, at the head of that. It's just ridiculous. Like, it's crazy how good the reliability is now compared to previous years. Yeah, pretty crazy indeed. And of course, those listening, get in contact with us on Twitter, at LBreaking. We want to know what you think about the situation. Was this a good move for Ricardo, for McLaren, Rengo unlucky or do they deserve it? What do you think about science? Let us know, please. Absolutely. And um, well, we won't be going all the way back to the early 1980s, but we are going to be having a look at the uh, last 20 years. And we're going to be asking the question now, McLaren or Ferrari, which of the two teams have been the most wasteful? Um, of course, Ferrari and McLaren have both won championships. Drivers, uh, well, both in the case of drivers, McLaren haven't in the case of the constructors. Um, but you could argue both teams could have won more than what they did. Um, Harry, are those two names? Is there one that pops out to you? Uh, this is a tricky one because the past 20 years, um, Ferrari won a fair few championships at the start of that 20 years. Um uh, so you might immediately think McLaren, but McLaren have had sort of some really tricky times and whether they've been wasteful with it, that's a different question because they've just been trying to work their way back up to the top. Whereas if you look at Ferrari, who have been at the top for most of the time, that could be considered wasteful because they've they've had the pace, they've had the cars on you know, 2018, 2017, they had the car to win a championship or definitely 2018 at least, um, the car and driver combo. 2010, definitely had the car and driver combo. 2012, definitely had the driver in there to win the championship. So, um, yeah, both teams have had their fair share and Ferrari have obviously come out on top in terms of championship wins. Um, I don't know whether I could pl- place their name on it. They both, for two greats of the sport, they've both had a tricky 20 years with some some ups, but some some big, big downs as well. Um, I'll plonk with Ferrari. But that's that's a difficult question, Ben. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if it was an easy question, might not have too much discussion on it. But um, That is a very good point. Um, 
just focusing on Ferrari themselves then, um, is there one year um, that you look at and say, of all of them, that's the year they really should have won a championship and they didn't get the job done? Uh, I think 2010. I know it was such a tight year, but um, if you look at the position they were in, even going into that final race, Alonso should have won that championship. And, you know, and it, championships are lost on obviously very, very small decisions. And that small decision was to pit. Um, and that small decision behind. was Russian. Yeah, that small decision was a Russian man called Vitaly, um, who had the Renault the size of a London bus. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's probably the one that springs to mind the most. 2018 is another one, although the, the wheels came off way before the final race on that one. Um, yeah, I think 2010 would have to be because you know, that was almost destined. Like they had Alonso in the car that year. This, this was peak Alonso. Um, he won the first race of the season. He had some cracking wins throughout the season. So, yeah, 2010. Fair enough. Um, Sam, what, what are your views on this one? Ferrari or McLaren? So, again, like you said, it wouldn't be a question worth asking if it wasn't tricky. And boy, is it a tricky one. I think they both had some absolute elite drivers come through their ranks over the last 20 years. I mean, both teams have had the blessing of Fernando Alonso. Lewis Hamilton has been there alongside with Michael Schumacher. You know, some of the most successful drivers we have ever seen in the sport have raced for both these teams in that period. Um, funny enough, it's those drivers that make the difference, I think. So in the early period of the of this, the time that we're looking at, you know, those first kind of six, seven years, of course, Ferrari absolutely dominated. And I think Michael Schumacher is what makes the difference there. If you look at, if you take away Michael Schumacher and you put in a driver level to Rubens Barrichello, so let's just imagine you've got two Rubens Barrichellos, which, what a blessing for any race team or why individual, by the way. So much why not, have, why not have more? I would love more if I could. So An entire team. Then... <laughs> <laughs> all the mechanics, the team leadership, everyone, Rubens Barrichello. Just crying him. all the time. Sobbing. Always Barrichello is the team name. Anyway, we're off track. Move on. Back to the what we're talking about. Realistically, Ferrari lose a couple of titles there. You know, uh, Hackingen, I think, um, beats Barrichello in 2000. Coulthard beats Barrichello in 2001. So that's two titles that McLaren pick up over Ferrari at the start of the season. There may be more, but I'm forgetting. They're probably, I have a memory of a sieve. Um, so I think Schumacher is the difference there. And I think if McLaren could do a little more, they could provide a little more, then I think that realistically they could be up on that constructors title that they are lacking on in comparison to Ferrari. And then we move later on into the era where Schumacher has, has come out of the team. And now they've got the likes of Hamilton and Alonso side by side. In a, you know, two, what will go on to be two of the greatest drivers of all time in one team, at, some would argue... You know, Alonso's peak at that point, you know, he's, he's just pretty much off the back of winning a double world title. Um, he's done really well there. And then Hamilton is a super hungry rookie, not actually hungry people. I know we like putting words in my mouth, but we're talking about passion and success. And, you know, they, they somehow, and correct me if I'm wrong, they don't win the Constructors' Championship that season. Um, from it, mate. There you go. <laughs> like, you, you're going to talk about something wasteful. That how wasteful could you be? You like, what a pairing! Hamilton goes on to win his first title. Alonso never gets the chance really again in that team, and then moves to Ferrari to replace one of his heroes, Michael Schumacher, and is I think a combination of I think it was what four or six points, something like that, from winning an extra two or three titles. 
um, which is just incredible. The scenes, but I think I think McLaren are the more wasteful of the two. I think Ferrari have been bloody wasteful, bloody wasteful, mate. Um, especially in the last current years of Vettel, where they for a lot of the season, especially in two thousand and nineteen, had the car to challenge and they threw it away. They threw it away, and then Vettel probably could challenge comfortably to the end of two thousand eighteen, and it, it fell away again. But McLaren have just messed up their own goals and their own trajectory time after time after time. You know, they they ruin the partnership with Mercedes and go to Honda. Then just as Honda start getting good, they go, we're fed up with this, and they move to Renault, and they've got a driver pairing of Jenkson Button and Fernando Alonso. Again, two drivers that are some of the best we've ever seen, and they can't produce anything from that. So for me, I think that if a few results differ and go McLaren's way and Ferrari don't take advantage of those, and that's the crossover, the fact that Ferrari took advantage of McLaren's issues or downfalls, then they benefit from that. So for me, it's super close, but I'm just going to say McLaren. Some great points in there, Sam. And I think probably the most important question that comes out of that is, in a team of two Rubens Barrichellos, which one gives way to the other at Austria? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I so they, would at, start. they would actually perfect the crossing the line at the same time trick yeah. that Schumacher yeah, and Barrichello never did. Yeah, I, I feel like they would actually just both come to a stop because they couldn't let the other win or they couldn't let themselves win. <laughs> and then they just sob. No, no, after you. No, no, after you. <laughs> after you, Rubens. <laughs> Jeez. Um... <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, so I was I was looking at the, the last 20 years and, and trying to work out which I was going to go for here. Um and I was looking at how many titles um, McLaren could have won. Uh, and I was kind of going for it year by year. And then suddenly it emerged that not should have won, but could have won. They could have had seven championship wins in terms of constructors' championship wins when they ended up with none. Like, that is very wasteful. I mean, just to go through them, 2000, they don't win either championship. Hakkinen is leading with four races to go. Doesn't win, obviously. Uh, they only lose out by 18 points that year. Uh, 10 of those going away because they didn't record their win in Austria uh, due to some nice one, idiots. irregularity with the car. Um, they had more podiums than Ferrari in 2000 and they didn't win the championship. So that, that has to be considered a, a wasteful year on both fronts. 2003, Raikkonen, fair play to Kimi Raikkonen, a great year in 03, came within two points of winning the title. Uh, 16 points away in the constructors. And I don't, I don't want to put that on Kimi, but David Coulthard, only seventh that year, didn't compete. Um, just wasn't quite good enough in 2003. Um, and if he had been better, they would have won the championship in that year. 05, I recently did a video on 05 and how McLaren should definitely have won both championships that year. Uh, Montoya was inconsistent um, and Raikkonen just has to deal with terrible unreliability all year. Um, 2007, I mean, that's we're already like four in eight years here. 2007, you've already alluded to this, Sam. I think it could be the most wasteful year of all time. Alonso and Hamilton, for me, are two top 10 drivers of all time. You, you could say, of course, Hamilton at the time was in his rookie year, so he wasn't quite the driver that we know now. Uh, but still, that was a team that was more than good enough to win both championships. And obviously, uh, Spygate interrupted their constructors' efforts and um, 
they ended up stopping each other from winning the drivers' championship, and that was one. I think that was probably the year of all of them that was the most wasteful. Um, 08, again, no offense to Heike Kovalainen, they should have won the constructors' championship that year if they had a good enough driver, uh, alongside Hamilton. Again, you could say that's self inflicted because if they had Alonso, it might well have happened. Um, 2010 and 2012, they were close on both occasions. I don't know if they should have won either. Um, I, I think, in all honesty, 2010, both Red Bull and Ferrari were better than them. Uh, 2012, I think they probably should have finished second in the championship rather than third, but Alonso, of course, had that magic year. Um, so I wouldn't say 2010 and 2012 are too wasteful, but definitely the five opportunities before that, none of which they took, that that must have been difficult for them to accept. Well, there you have it. You heard it here first, folks. McLaren and Ferrari are rubbish. And Thank you. Mercedes and Red Bull are very grateful. I think the well, funny thing is, if McLaren continued that upward trajectory, we've said that a lot this podcast, but if McLaren yeah. continued the positive trajectory from Spygate, you know, if they... Now, yes, okay, they have Spygate, but they continue the upwards goal from there, um, especially now Alonso's gone, then I wonder what happens if they keep Hamilton in the team and don't lose him to Mercedes. Then Nico Rosberg would be a 6 world champion. <laughs> Imagine the cursed timeline. <laughs> Unfortunately, this won't be turned into a video, otherwise we definitely have the title for that. Um Nico Rosberg would have been a six-time world champion. Quote, Harry Eid. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All I can say is I'm surprised you haven't used our new sound effect for that. Oh, yeah. Let me try that again. Nico Rosberg would have been a six-times world champion. <laughs> You're welcome. Cheers, George. <laughs> Big fan of the show. <laughs> he is. He recorded that, especially for us. Definitely did not take that off the internet. No, no, nothing we do is taken off the internet. No, we actually, the the disgusting uh, sound effect we've got was actually recorded live as well. It's Sam. Yeah. Yeah. You can't quite recognise it, but it is him. I'm very good at accents. I sound like a a slightly northern overweight white woman. Right, um, I really, I really got into the uh, the character. Right, move on. I mean, villagent observers might well say that um, we've strayed off topic. Did you say villagent? Yeah, he yeah. did. He said villagent. Yeah. Did you I mean vigilant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the vigilant idiot as well. Yeah, nicely done. I mean, it, yeah, villagent is um, is someone who's vigilant but just not quite town enough. Oh, yeah. yeah. Move yeah. on! Bit more right. in the village. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so Silverstone's plans to hold two races this season are under threat. It looks like the, the UK government are not going to give an exception for Formula One, um, in, uh, Formula One personnel regarding quarantine um, and that 14-day 
uh, amount that they have to have to abide by. Um, if they don't, and I don't think it's a completely done deal yet. If they don't, um, Hockenheim might well step in to replace uh, those two races, or at least one of those races. Um, Harry, do do you think that Hockenheim um, should come in? And you know, I know Hockenheim is uh, struggling a bit financially, hence why they weren't on the calendar in the first place. Um, do you think that they should be careful not to uh, not to get into something that they don't want to? Um, yes, it, they should be careful, but we've seen already that I think F1 of F1 of Silverstone have struck a deal because Silverstone are, they're not in the Hockenheim situation, but without the fans, which is what they generate most of their revenue from without the massive British crowds that come out, um, they, it's difficult for them to hold a race, let alone two. Um, so they've definitely come to some arrangement with F1. So who's to say that? F1 can't come to some arrangement with Hockenheim, especially if they're desperate for two races. I think there may be a case that F1 are more desperate than Hockenheim are at the moment. So, um, look, I'd love to see Hockenheim again. We we were lucky we got them back last year, had a cracking race. Um, I'll be sad if we don't get Silverstone, but these are exceptional times. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, the, guy, the people that um, run Hockenheim aren't going to get into something they can't afford to do. Um, so I don't see them them doing it if they if they physically can't. But it sounds like, or from the reports I read today, that that the talks are very much accelerating because as it looks increasingly unlikely we'll get to Silverstone. Well, sorry, if we can get to Silverstone, they just can't leave. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm fine with it. Just, as long as one of the weekends it rains, I'm fine. <laughs> That's the rule. That's the rule. Um, Sam, what are your views on a return to Hockenheim in 2020? Sorry, Harry, was that, was that the call of sprinklers that I could hear? Bring yes. back sprinklers. Bernie's, Ooh, bring Bernie. them back. Bring them back. <laughs> bring them back to reality, folks. They are no longer a myth. Um, obviously, the British government are a joke. If you oh, don't... Oh, right, I mean, this is not a kind of podcast. Look, Essentially, folks, if you can race up and down South End Pier, which has got more people on it than any Silverstone Grand Prix has ever seen uh, this weekend. <laughs> Have you seen the videos around packing is? If they can all stand around there without any consequence, or you can all go to a park in London without any bloody consequences, then you can get Formula One cars in the home of Formula One, and you can do some good bloody racing. So... Let's have Silverstone twice, and let's have Hockenheim twice. Let's do them both. They are incredible venues. It doesn't take the struggle of one to bring in the other one. Why can't we have them both? I don't understand it. If, if the money is being allowed as a, 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 an altering factor for this season only, because we're running out of possible venues that can host it, Germany have handled this crisis brilliantly. And because of that, Hockenheim, which is always producing a great race, is available. So let's do Silverstone twice. Maybe a bit later on, and then let's do Hockenheim twice because my God, does Hockenheim produce a fantastic race? And two of them, maybe one back to front. I love the idea. I don't think Hockenheim needs to be careful. I don't think they need to be risky. I don't think they're offending anyone in Silverstone by going, we can host Formula One. I think the crowds of Formula One, the, the drivers, the teams, the, the fans will, will give Germany the love it deserves for stepping up and going, look. We will provide the racing. We are free. We have got the measures in. We are being safe and careful. And yeah, they need money. And so what? I don't care if they're trying to stay alive. They deserve to stay alive. They deserve to fight for their place. They produce fantastic entertainment. So yes, 
Hockenheim should be in the calendar. I don't if it replaces Silverstone because of the stupid government laws that are in place when they don't care about anything else. Apparently, so we're going to play the F one theme music. <laughs> Regardless, Hockenheim, yes, play the flute. Just magical. <laughs> I, I I'm exhausted just listening to that. I mean, <laughs> there were some bombs in there, Sam. Look, there was some I mean, bombs. We, don't, we don't like to be polo- political. Political. God, I can't speak. <laughs> You've got to be villaging. I just took a swig of drink. I don't like to be political, but. Come on, you can't apply a rule to a circuit and then not apply it to the general public of that where we need to be safe. It's it's one rule for all, or you've got to get on with it, I'm afraid. That's all I wanted to say. All right. So. Thank you. Hockenheim, I'm sure, would be a, a great replacement for Silverstone if it's necessary. And Hockenheim, of course, as recently as last year, has proven what a brilliant circuit it is uh, and what a great venue for Formula One it is. Um, I think with Hockenheim struggles, they will need some sort of a deal similar to what they've arranged for Silverstone. And I'm sure they'll oblige with that. I I know that um, obviously there's no revenue stream without any people there. There's there's no money coming in for Hockenheim. So they would have to, they would have to come to some sort of agreement um, and and hopefully they do. Um, And, I agree with you, Sam. At least in one regard, um, that <laughs> even if it even if they don't replace Britain with Hockenheim, I think there is definitely a place for Hockenheim on the calendar. Um, I've got no doubt that there will be other races that will be that, that will be cancelled, uh, and those that have been postponed earlier in the year will not be able to be rerun. And I think there will be a need for at least one race at Hockenheim, if not two. So even if it doesn't replace Silverstone, I expect to see it on the calendar. You know, just look at, I mean, there was news coming out from the Singapore Grand Prix that will not be held uh, behind closed doors. So, you know, if they're they're not in a position to run it with fans, um, then it's not going to go ahead at all. Um, And I'm sure there are other circuits um, that are in talks at the moment as to what they're going to do. So, yeah, I think Hockenheim would be a great addition. I, I didn't want to see it gone anyway. I think it's a wonderful Grand Prix. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it can uh, it can fill the void or if if it's not needed to fill the void, it can be there anyway. Good debate, lads. Oh, I'm, I'm just exhausted from... I'm just exhausted. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, I'm absolutely exhausted, and I think that's probably enough for, for this podcast episode. But before we go, some big news about our next recording. So this is, as we alluded to at the start, the 49th episode of the Late Breaking Formula One podcast. Episode 50, we decided that we're going to have to do something uh, to commemorate the occasion. Uh, and what better way to commemorate than bringing on a special guest? If you follow us on Twitter, you'll already know at L Breaking who our special guest is going to be. And it's none other than Formula one driver or ex-Formula One driver, Karun Chandok, um, obviously a member of the Sky Sports F1 team, columnist. He's a great guy. Really excited to have him on the show and to ask him questions. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I'm sure I'm sure you guys are as well. Um, it's going to be a great opportunity to speak to him. Couldn't be more excited to speak to that man, Karun Chandok. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, so that will be out same time, sort of uh, same time on a Thursday. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that one. But uh, until then, Sam, get us out of here. Well, if you've enjoyed this rather up and down, topsy turvy podcast with some controversial topics thrown in for fun, then think about sharing the podcast, subscribing to us, and getting in contact with us at L Breaking on Twitter. We always love to hear from you. In the meantime, I've been Samuel Say. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Zolt Baumgartner. <laughs> Hungary's only F1 driver. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network.